this is Tuning In From Within. I am Kara McLeod, formerly known as Kara Solemsas. And I'm Kelly Hurt, formerly known as myself, Kelly Hurt. <laughs> and we are the Jackies of all trades, masters of one, and that is public health. Tuning In From Within is a show that we host dedicated to fostering a collaborative environment where we have equity-driven conversations that impact and inspire the way we approach our health and well-being. Shall we get started? Let's Let's tune tune in. in. Giving birth is one of the most natural processes we go through as humans, something we've been doing for hundreds of thousands of years. Yet the labor and delivery system we navigate in 2022 is surprisingly complex, especially for first-timers. In today's episode, we'll talk about how labor and delivery has evolved over the last century and how factors like capitalism, racism, colonization, and the patriarchy have led us to less than ideal modern day birthing outcomes. I am very excited about this episode. We're going to be examining a historical account of how parents have chosen to deal with the trauma of labor and delivery, along with hearing from the founder and owner of Birthing in Power, Cassie Shemper. So before we listen to Cassie's interview, let's talk a bit more about the history of birthing practices. One of the main resources that Cassie was inspired by and recommends to everyone is the documentary called The Business of Being Born. And this documentary dives into the idea that the natural intuitive process of labor and delivery has transformed into somewhat of a dangerous OBGYN reliant surgical procedure when oftentimes interventions would not be necessary if we took a birth model that was more person-centered approach and allowed the birthing person their time and space to work through labor and allowing the baby to come out when the baby chooses. Sometimes they just want to stay cooking for a little bit. Kara, that is such an important point. Uh, Labor and delivery has evolved into a process that is meant to be quick and easy for the medical team. And it really shouldn't be about what's convenient for the provider. It should be about the person giving birth. Amen. Say no more. Our (laughs) podcast ends here. On that note, I want to talk a little bit more about C-sections. And after that, I want to ask you a few questions about the rise and fall of Mm -hmm. midwifery. It's a fun word, isn't it? Midwifery. Yes. Um, Okay. So the World Health Organization says that while cesarean section, a C-section, can be an essential and life-saving surgery, it can actually put women and babies at an unnecessary risk of short and long-term health problems if performed when there is no medical need. And we know that there are some medically necessary situations where people do have to have a C-section. But the world C-section rate has risen from around 7% in 1990 to 21% today, and that is projected to continue to increase over this current decade. That's wild. They also say that the ideal rate for a country is around 10%, no more than 10% C-section rates. It's like for Western countries? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Good point. And why has this risen, you might ask? Well, let me tell you, convenience plays a huge role. So C-sections are easy on the doctors. It's 20 minutes and then they can go home for dinner, as they said in the business of being born. And now you can even schedule your birth to say, this is a time that's convenient. Um, 
And people can be kind of pushed into doing that depending on their jobs, doctor's schedule, their beliefs about birth, all the above. I was talking to you guys offline a little bit about the Mindy Project and I'm rewatching it and I'm just continuously laughing with this new lens that I have on birth and pregnancy because uh, Danny Castellano, who he's such course, a babe, I I love, know. Um, <laughs> oh my God, he's such a zaddy. <laughs> oh yeah, major zaddy. Yes. Um, he at one point in the first season is like, yeah, I like to schedule C-sections on Saturday nights because the hospital's quiet. I get in, I get out and no one bothers me. And it just is like the epitome of what we've been like talking about in the last couple minutes. And I that's think funny that they captured that. Yeah. And they do it multiple times in different ways, like kind of this, ah, I'm going to do yeah. what's convenient for me. Like. Oh, my patient wants me to be the doctor on their birth. I'm going to make it work mm-hmm. on my time. But anyway, so kind of going back to the world C-section rates, one hospital saw that the peak occurrence of C-sections were from 4 to 10 p.m. And it's exactly like Dr. Castellano was saying. <laughs> <laughs> it's because physicians want to go home. They want to be with it's their so families. It's so funny because that... That piece right there is from The Business of Being Born, that they had captured that. But anywho, yes. so another yeah. piece in The Business of Being Born, one of the people that was featured on it was Ina May. She's an American midwife. Um, they have called her, described her as the mother of authentic midwifery. So she has this farm that people vacation to. I am totally make this nonchalant, but people give birth at her farm. And so they set up this whole beautiful environment <laughs> So that you can have a unmedicated birth on your own time there. It's beautiful. Mm. It's like an Airbnb, but for giving birth. Just a baby, some baby popping in the river over there, one's in a tub, just baby (laughs) shooting in the air like cannons left and right. Right. One's in the horse trough coming out. (laughs) Wherever Wherever you want. And it's cool. It just is a really cool environment that they describe it. I read her book when I was pregnant. The whole reason that I'm bringing her up is because she has had numerous home births that have occurred at her farm. And the first ever C-section that was needed was after the 187th person that had given birth at their farm. Damn. That is some good outcome. Yeah, right? I'm I'm not making this up. I'm not making this stuff up. And that's crazy. And those are all different women, different pelvises, Mm -hmm. have different bodies, different health conditions, all these different things. And it took 187 people until finally needing a C-section. Oh. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Is that still a thing that they run? She still has a website. She has like prenatal care, water birth, okay. accommodations, planting the placenta. So they like honor different traditions with placentas, <gasps> which a lot of um, different cultures, indigenous cultures have done in the past. Anyways, super cool, super crunchy. That sounds amazing and just like a great environment where people giving birth are just empowered to do what's right for them and to learn about how to work with their bodies and, you know, like really being in tune to what's happening with your baby and where it's at Mm -hmm. and things like that. So I think that's such a good point because really we just want to educate pregnant people to learn about their body and what will be best for it during birth. You know, consider using medical professionals such as pelvic floor therapists Shout out to Dr. Carla Moore Mm -hmm. from episode one. We love you. Um, Midwives and doulas. Shout out to Emily. Emily. Um, (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> we, we love you as much. A team of these people can increase our chances of having a healthy birth that feels, I'm going to say, feels true to your vision or what you had planned mm-hmm. And on. is empowering. Yes. Yes. So all of this to say, we just encourage everyone who is pregnant to find a supportive care team that includes a midwife and, of course, a doula, if you're able to, so that you are given all the tools to make the right decision for you and your birth vision. I personally had an empowering birth because I had a midwife on my team. Yeah. In addition to other factors, that was a big piece of it, too, just because my values and theirs, their scope of practice really aligned well. And we've talked a little bit about midwives so far, but Kara, I would love to hear a little bit more because they sound like superheroes. They truly are. And like you said, we do talk about them. Emily dives into them in the Demystifying Mm -hmm. Doulas episode. Talks a lot about their different roles compared to doulas. So quick rundown on midwives. In the U.S., you will commonly see three types of midwives. The first one is a certified midwife. Second is a nurse midwife. And then the third is a certified professional midwife. So that was the the CPM Mm. was the midwife that I had. Okay. So really the differences are the scope of practices. So certified midwives and certified nurse midwives both hold a graduate degree from an institution that's accredited by the American College of Nurse Midwives. Okay. And then the CPM. So CPM, you do not need an education. From what I found, you don't need a formal education like that, except for the schooling that you need to become a certified professional midwife, which is kind of cool in its own way, because to me, that seems, it reminds me in a sense of how the community health worker realm is functioned, of how it can be people that come from the community. You aren't held to the standard of having to go to education. Let's say it's a part Mm -hmm. of your culture of learning midwifery practices or whatever the case might be. It seems like it's more of an equitable route to becoming a midwife. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And even just the idea of like, college isn't accessible for some people. So to come right out of high school and be able to, or school of any kind to Mm -hmm. come right out and say like, you know what, I'm actually really interested in birth and the whole practice around it and being able to get that certification is really cool. The one thing I will say is that certified nurse midwives or CNMs Mm -hmm. have the most flexibility with where they're able to practice, what they're able to perform, being able to prescribe medication, which with CPMs, it is more limited in a sense. And Mm -hmm. it's also not widely accepted by all 50 states. Same with certified midwives. Nurse midwives are. Interesting. Right? Seems like there's um, an advocacy piece that we could look into there for the future. That's what I think too. It's transformed into somewhat of a bureaucratic, like you need to obtain this level of education and skill set to be able to help deliver someone's baby when my midwife who's a CPM was super intuitive. Mm -hmm. Anyways, so another piece of midwives, they're present for over 70% of births in Japan and Europe versus only 8% for all births in the US. And this was as of 2019, which is super fascinating that they're so Mm -hmm. popular in these countries and areas. Yeah, with better birth outcomes. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I wonder what that. Hmm. Wonder what that's about. <laughs> we won't cross that bridge today, but we have before. <laughs> so midwives were often used in indigenous communities. These can include Black and Brown communities that helped deliver babies. And then in the rise of the OBGYN movement, they threw out a lot of propaganda bullshit that made midwifery look like this primitive, archaic practice that only people of color utilized, right? So then Mm. 
majority white population is seeing that and not comforted by it. They see now the rise of the OBGYN and these white male doctors coming here to save them and deliver their babies and in this clean hospital with the white walls that are just blinding. Mm. Right. Right. So comforting. Yes. So So they eventually, they as in the midwives, gained popularity back in the communes in the 60s and 70s. So the resurgence that sprung Mm -hmm. up during the women's movement, which is no surprise because women are reclaiming their bodies. We're reclaiming our births. We are feeling empowered again to make these decisions for ourselves that have been made for us for decades. So they tried to argue, specifically the feminist movement argued that childbirth is natural and hospitalization and supervision. I love that. I Mm. love that um, analogy of it by a physician are not required. Yeah. I mean, it feels like that. It's like big brother watching over you. Yeah. You can only have a successful birth one way. That's with supervision. (laughs) It's with me, a man. It's me from 4 to 10 p.m. Because my wife is cooking pot roast tonight, so I need to <laughs> Can't forget the pot roast. So I will say that, um, unfortunately, the revival of the midwifery era, again, was short-lived. And by the mid-1980s, regulations were introduced by the American Medical Association that prohibited midwives from practicing without physician supervision. And then those were finalized by the mid-1990s. And now nowadays you see people that you consider like granola or earthy crunchy Mm -hmm. using midwives is becoming more normalized because you have certified nurse midwives, but it's still is like a, Oh, you used a midwife type of reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just, honestly, I'm just thinking of the Mindy project again, because the two midwives are in the same building as these providers and they just are always in this fight. And it's like, why does there have to be this fight between midwives and providers they need to be a team together. Midwifery exists within the medical field, and that needs to be recognized. How do they depict midwives in that show? Oh my god, I think they have like yoga that they're always <laughs> doing. They're very much like, we're better than everyone. <laughs> we offer these services, and everything that the providers do are is unnecessary and they just always talk about like how much they love the women that come in (laughs) like this weird over the top thing. But I think again, it's, it's satire. Like that's how they're depicted a lot of times. So that's funny. Just I know I need to watch it again. I think maybe I only got through the first season, but anyways, it's funny that it's like two white guys too that are the midwives. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And they've like taken over all this yoga and like Eastern. Oh my gosh. Like appropriating. (laughs) Yeah. Um, anyway, everyone should watch it. It's great. But I also want to talk about a few things that weren't covered in The Business of Being Born, an actual documentary, not just a fun media depiction. And the documentary focused on a lot of really important parts, but there's some other things such as like the idea of people in a hospital usually give birth on their back or are said, you know, we need, we need you to be on your back. Your legs are going to go up in these stirrups. Mm-hmm. Super fun and comfy position. Right? <laughs> super fun, super cute. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes I pull out my stirrups and I'm like, let me just, <laughs> just to relax. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't we all do that? No. If you've ever been in fucking stirrups, you know that it is wild. Mm-hmm. But 
this was a practice that was started because it's best for the doctor which like Mm -hmm. again going back to a conversation we had in the previous episode and the whole idea of you know birthing as a business we are the paying customer the people that are serving us and working in the room are working for us so it's not what's most comfortable for the doctor it's not what's most comfortable for the care team around we need to focus on the person giving birth and if they're comfortable on their backs in a stirrup and like things are going well great if not you need to allow for some flexibility in your practices i love that people are dropping thousands of dollars on births let me tell you even yeah. after insurance so Is they should cheap? be able to set up exactly yeah and i'm just thinking back to our our um, episode with chelsea and all the things that she kind of endured and it just um, you know, the hospital setting does not necessarily make space for the natural part of birth. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, because of how birth is portrayed in media, it makes us believe that it's this crazy, horrible, scary thing that we need drugs for, specifically Pitocin and an epidural, which, again, some people do really need those and some people really want them. And there's no shame in that. But sometimes these can actually stress the body out and cause necessary emergency c-section so i think that just understanding that like we are shown these things we're told these things but a lot of times behind it is not necessarily a science it's a business practice Mm -hmm. so what we really need to do as a society as medical professionals as public health professionals we need to ask what are the basic needs of birthing people in labor Biology is super unpredictable, and you never know how your labor and delivery will play out. So it's really important to communicate with your support team, you know, which ideally, as we talked about, includes a range of both holistic providers as well as medical professionals to determine what your wants and needs are and how they can best be met for your personal situation. I hope that this was helpful in some way to talk about the nuances of birth and why it's important when it comes to finding what having an empowering birth means to each person. Because our agenda is not to push home births, though I highly recommend. (laughs) It is to provide you with ample information to create your own birth vision, which we'll talk about with the recording that's coming up here soon, that really aligns with your wants and needs. And I think a lot of times moms go in and The only thing we really want is the baby at the end. We don't really care about the process or maybe we don't have time to care. And it's really helpful to iron all of that out. Yeah. And we just want to support everyone to feel empowered going into birth, um, knowing that you plan your birth in a way that feels exciting to you. So in this episode, we will talk about strategies to decrease the chances of having a traumatic birth. And one of those ways will be discussed by our guest today, Cassie Shemper who was my birth educator, who is just awesome and is just killing it in the birthing world and realm. And she breaks down how to have an empowering birth by ultimately creating a birth vision. So without further ado, please welcome Cassie Shemper, who is a mother of two, a birth coach, childbirth educator, and founder of Birthing in Power. Kara, on the count of three. One, two, three. Let's tune in. in. Was that at the same time? I think so. Hey, Cassie. Hey, Kara. 
So I would just love for you to share what inspired you to step into your role as being the owner of Birthing and Power with this mission of supporting the empowered births. Mm-hmm. Yeah, happy to share. It really goes back to my own personal experience going through pregnancy two times. I have two daughters. So going all the way back to like before I was pregnant at all, I was living like a very different life. I was a data analyst, like in tech, not really in this world at all. And then when I got pregnant for the first time, I had this memory of seeing a movie called The Business of Being Born. Have you seen that, Kara? I have seen it. Yes. Okay. That, I mean, I 10 out of 10 recommend to anyone. Yeah, I watched it in college and it just was the first time that I had ever seen a birth unfold that was different from a woman screaming, lying on her back, like looking very like chaotic and like she was in pain, in terrible pain. And that was like the impression that I had of birth, you know, my whole childhood growing up, mm-hmm. literally until I watched this movie. And it just, you know, I wasn't at any place where I was like going to have a kid at any time, but the image of it, it touched me so deeply. It really like resonated. And when I got pregnant several years later, I like did all the things that I thought that I should do. You know, I did the childbirth education classes and the prenatal yoga. I chose a birthing location that felt really supportive to me and a midwife way loved. I read like Anna May's books, like all the things. And I, you know, was really excited to go into labor. I still was very anxious and scared. Like I had done all these things to like set myself up for this, you know, beautiful experience. But looking back now, like I didn't do a lot of the like emotional or like spiritual preparation work that I, you know, know of now. Mm -hmm. So going into labor the first time, like it totally was a huge rite of passage. Like it is no matter what, but I was like very confronted with like the reality of labor and birth. And um, it wasn't at all what I expected. And I didn't expect it to call so much out of me physically, but more than that, emotionally. And it was a just completely transformational experience for me. I just felt like a totally different person on the other side. And it was like night and day. Like I I really felt like I stepped into a new identity through this rite of passage that was my birth. And I mean, similar to the way that like seeing that movie scene of like the business of being born just like Mm -hmm. totally resonated with me. After I gave birth to Lily, it was like a calling towards birth. I was like, I know that I have to do this. And so I did. So then I, you know, took a doula training and did all like the workshops and took as many like classes as I could to learn about birth and you know what supporting people through birth looked like I ended up doing an apprenticeship with some of the most experienced uh, doulas in the San Francisco Bay Area and I was just like taking this all in and then in that time I got pregnant again for the second time And I basically just applied everything that I had learned and like soaked up from my teachers and my apprenticeship and and really like all the women who I had the honor of witnessing and like sitting by their side as they gave birth. I learned so much from them. And then in my own experience, I really like internalized it for the second time and went really deep into the spiritual and emotional and mental preparation that I felt like I missed with my first birth. So I went really deep into that and 
my birth unfolded totally different. It was so much less confronting because I had already like done the work to like show up to that moment, really ready to just surrender to it, like surrender to however my birth unfolded and truly like trusting myself in a way that I definitely didn't my first birth. It was after that, that I had the vision to start birthing in power and really like share not only the logistical and informational information that I had gathered and learned, but also like the kind of building blocks of what it takes to really have a empowering birth experience, like no matter how that looks for you. So that's kind of how it it started. And I love that you say building blocks too, because So I am going into this having taken Cassie's course and she really breaks it down into smaller, very tangible steps. And so it's not this overwhelming thing where she's just touting, oh, have an empowered birth. I mean, there's different things that you can really incorporate and pull from it. And that just makes it so simplistic in a way too. It might be helpful to like explain what I mean by like an empowering birth experience, because Mm -hmm. to me, like it's really... I'm not, I don't mean natural birth. Like I don't mean unmedicated birth. Like that's not my definition or distinction of like an empowering experience. And then it's also not about if your birth goes according to plan or not. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is like a misconception that I hear a lot of like, okay, if I have a plan like for a natural unmedicated physiological birth. And then it it unfolds in a way where that's not the case. Like I have to get an induction or I end up getting an epidural or I end up having a cesarean birth. Then does that mean that it's a failure? That's not what makes it feel empowering or not empowering. Like there's been, I've been at births before where they wanted an unmedicated natural birth and that was their plan. And if you look like on paper, it unfolded exactly the way that they wanted to. No interventions, labored at home as long as possible, like all the things were ticked off. And yet when they share their experience after, they don't describe it as as a positive experience at all. Like they're like, I actually was really struggling like in my labor and like I was not in a good mind space. Like I was, I felt like I was suffering. It was really difficult. And then on the flip side, there have been many births, my first birth included, where it's like it ends up from the outside looking completely different than what they had originally intended, like the birth location change, or they get an intervention that they didn't expect to. And yet they really love and cherish their birth experience and their birth story and really feel like they were able to meet those moments of challenge and really feel empowered to make decisions, right? And where I see people have negative birth experiences or disempowering birth experiences is when it feels like their birth got away from them in a way. It was like out of control. Things started happening. All of a sudden I was here. I didn't know how I got here. Like it's kind of that disconnect of like not feeling like they were the ones to really be in the driver's seat of their birth. Mm -hmm. And also I find people have negative experiences if they don't feel respected by their support team, by like their care provider, whoever's in the room and they don't feel supported. I'm really happy that you defined that because I think that's really important. I think a lot of times when we're giving the message that we want patients to feel empowered, what does that even mean? But in terms of birth, just knowing that 
you are the queen is really the best way to say it. I love how you phrase that, but you're the mother queen. This is your birth. It's no one else's Mm -hmm. and you have the power to make those important decisions. It really matters, right? Like it Mm -hmm. matters in your own life and like every human being can only be born one time. So each one is, is a really significant event for you for your family for your baby and for your community as well like it's a it's a huge event no that's beautifully said and i i think it's because i'm coming up to the end of it and i know part of your course you really talk about listening to those birth stories which i definitely have and i think the majority of them though that I have found, they just talk about how amazing their second birth was or their third birth was or their fourth. (laughs) I just keep hearing like, oh, the first one, you know, (laughs) the first one is the hardest, (laughs) is the longest. I've actually had conversations with people before who are like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm not going to really prepare like for this first birth, but for the second one, I'll like do more preparation. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got to get you more first time birth stories that are Please really do. Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> I will. So going back to what you had touched on when you were explaining having an empowered birth, you talked about how a lot of people set out these birth plans. And one thing in your course is creating a birth vision. And so I would love mm-hmm. for you to go into that a little bit and explain what really is the difference between the two and what what is the point? I mean, why create a vision? Yeah, that's a really great question. So birth vision versus birth plan. A birth plan is the classic thing that a lot of people know about. It's like the one pager that kind of has like the bullet points of like, these are my preferences. Like these are my birth preferences. I would like to decline a HEPLOC. I would like to not be offered an epidural, the how-to. And then the birth vision is larger than that. It encompasses the birth plan, but it's really more the energy of the room, like the feelings that you want to feel like the images that come to mind, like the moments that pop out, you know, the qualities of like how you would want to describe your birth. And then ultimately like the values that represent that. So I think of a birth vision as kind of like your North star, right? So it's like, it gives you somewhere to orient toward, but it's much bigger than the actual how to decisions of a birth plan. So sometimes the graphic that I use is, you know, up in the, up in the sky, like imagine it like top right corner, like Mm -hmm. guiding you. And then your birth plan is like the arrow to get there. Right. And without a birth vision, the arrow doesn't really have anywhere to point. Like it's kind of like aimless, but also having that birth vision, you realize that what you actually want is so much more and deeper and different than the actual birth plan. So what I normally see is either one, people go into the experience wanting to be super open-minded to however it's going to unfold. And what that looks like is I'll be like, you know, tell me about the birth that you want. Tell me about, you know, your plans, your intention. And they'll say something like, oh, well, you know, we'll see what happens. Like, I'd love if it was, you know, X, but it's totally fine if that doesn't happen. Or, you know, this like Y would be nice, but I'm not attached to it. And it's like Mm -hmm. this constant kind of wanting to stay in this place of not claiming what they actually want. 
I totally get it. And I think that it makes sense. And I think that it comes from this place of not wanting to set yourself up for failure in a way. Right. And it's like a lot of people who I work with, they have this fear of failing at their birth. And in my opinion, like there's no such thing as failing at your birth. Like you cannot fail at your birth. And when I see people cope with that fear in a way that's actually like not making a solid plan or like not claiming what, what it is that they actually want, what happens is they end up not being able to step into that leadership role that we talked Mm -hmm. about is so key for like having an empowering experience. So if you go in like really wishy-washy, then you're not going to be able to be like the queen of your birth because you don't even know like what you want, where you're even guiding the birth experience. How can you, you know, prepare for something that isn't even clear to you? Mm. So that's like the first thing that I see some people do. And the other thing that some other people do I want to say myself included in this is kind of the opposite. We really are clear on what we want and we kind of obsess about the birth plan. So it's like, we'll, you know, get really detailed in what it is that we want, um, how we want it to look and be really attached to that. And what I see with people who do that is it's anything that's not their plan begins to develop a lot of charge around it and become something that is bad. And like, you know, a lot of people aren't even willing to like, think of that. It becomes something that you completely push away. You don't allow yourself to be flexible at all. So that is like the other kind of thing that I see some people do. And my intention with having a process of creating like a birth vision is to kind of work with both of those tendencies. So if your birth is unfolding in a way where it's like, it's not following that straight line of your birth plan, like there's a little bit of deviation, you know, the natural like ebb and flow where it's not unfolding how you perfectly imagined it, you don't freak out because you know that ultimately those things that aren't what matters most, it's all in service to this greater vision that's Mm -hmm. more important to you. And I'm envisioning that again, cause I took your course. And so I imagine the squiggly line <laughs> that still makes yeah. it to that North star or that birth vision. Mm, yeah. The most important part is knowing why these things, these like ideas, these, you know, these moments that you're really excited by, or the feelings that you want to feel in your birth, like actually understanding why those things matter to you. Like that is essential and that is what's missing in a birth plan. Yeah, I agree. And what really connected with me was the creating of the values that Mm. made up the foundational pieces to your vision and Mm. just knowing, yes, I have this vision, which, you know, full disclosure, mine changed because the first time I did it, I was in Mm -hmm. my second trimester and I was telling Cassie this and- (laughs) one of our mama circles, you're feeling so good in your second trimester and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to be dancing around and have all this energy, which it may or may not happen. I don't know. But I just envisioned it to be this like light and airy experience. And then as I'm Mm -hmm. coming into the end of my third trimester and I created another birth vision, it's very much just introspective and inward. And I don't want Mm -hmm. it to be this I don't want to feel pressure that I need to talk. I just want to very much be within myself (laughs) is the Mm. best way I can describe that. However, the values that I set forth, 
in my first birth vision have carried into my second one is just Mm. what I'm imagining looks different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's totally natural and normal and highlights like one of the things that is missing in like a birth plan, because if you would have just made a birth plan, like your, your plan wouldn't probably have changed from like that second trimester plan or vision. And then like what it is now, like I'm sure logistically the decisions that you kind of ultimately make are going to be pretty similar, Mm -hmm. but the texture of what inspires you, it sounds like has shifted. And, and that is important because now you can prepare for that in a different way. And also like you can set up your environment to support what it is that you want. So like, you know, before, if you're wanting kind of like a super fun and light and like joyous and kind of like upbeat birth, if that's what I'm sounding like, like maybe then it would be, yeah, (laughs) yeah, which is so fun, but like to set that up, it would be. I mean, a different music playlist, there might be Mm -hmm. different people there or more people there. Like, you know, the way that you would prepare for your birth might be different. Like you might take different like movement classes or like when you really, you know, are setting aside space to connect with your baby that might look different. And then now that that vision has kind of shifted, I'm imagining you're setting it up differently, like actually setting up your home differently, communicating with your doula and your midwife differently, like sharing the texture of what you want more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I, I love too, that you shared that there's been a through line of the values. Yes, yeah. definitely. And I really, I just appreciate you using the word texture. Cause I think that's an excellent way to mm-hmm. describe exactly what it is, but those values that really stuck with me were, I just want to experience love in the room, that unconditional mm-hmm. love, however that looks yeah. Um, connection. And I want to feel connected to the experience, to my partner, mm-hmm. to my birth team, which I have developed that connection over the past, I think I'm in my ninth month now over the past mm-hmm. nine months and ensuring that, because I know if I felt disconnected to my midwife or if I felt disconnected to my mm-hmm. doula, something would feel off intrinsically. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So love connection. Anything and then else? the third one I'm blanking and I had it. Oh, okay. The irony of it, mindfulness (laughs) Mm. (laughs) is just being present. And that's something that Mm. I've carried with me throughout and, um, is really near and dear to my heart is just being very aware. I feel really good Mm -hmm. about it. And I just want to say like, thank you for sharing your values. And I love how you shared what they mean to you more too. Like, this is why, or like, this is what connection means to me. Like, this is kind of what I'm thinking because it's extremely personal and it's, mm-hmm. it's different for everybody. You know, another person could have connection or mindfulness on their values list, but it means something totally different to them. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And like the point of having these values that like kind of represent your vision for your birth is that these simple words, these simple phrases that you can turn into affirmations or mantras they anchor you to what's most important to you in your birth. So Mm -hmm. when you really connect to like the essence of what's most important to you, which is love and connection and mindfulness in your actual birth, it's this really incredible tool that you can use in your labor. If there are you know, times when you are really just like pushed to your edge, which happens in every birth, 
It's like you can remember you are love or like feel how connected you are to your team or your, or this moment connect back to like the mindfulness and presence with like you and your baby and this surge, like one surge at a time. Right. And then also like, if there are any kind of decisions that you have to make, if your birth is unfolding in a way that wasn't anticipated and, and you are kind of faced with like a fork in the road, the values can really help you navigate those decisions. Definitely. And I think going back to what you said in the beginning too, about knowing your why, Mm, yeah, is such a key piece. I think from the very beginning when I was interviewing midwives, the first thing I said to my current midwife was, you know, I want a spiritual birth. Like I want to be in alignment with some type of energy. I want it to be this way, but I had no idea Mm -hmm. why it was just a feeling that I felt. And so Mm -hmm. being able to be very clear with that Mm. has led me to a point where I do feel very empowered I I love that you brought that up because it really is the why that like deepens it. In my opinion, like so much of the work of preparing for birth, like it actually happens in your pregnancy. Like it happens in these nine, 10 months leading up to it where you're really like working through some of this stuff, knowing your why that's something that you can't really connect to not nearly as easily like during the actual birth it's like the opportunity for really doing that is in pregnancy and my hope for everyone is that they're able to show up to their birth experience knowing that no stone was left unturned and like they feel fully prepared confident and like ready for this experience and a huge part of that is really being in connection with and devotion to like your why and like why this birth matters to you. So much of that is like what gives the momentum to your birth itself. All right. So I um, have listened to that conversation a few times and never get tired of hearing it. I get tired of hearing my voice, but not Cassie's. (laughs) And she has... A lot of great information, but I really loved how she pointed out the emotional and Mm -hmm. spiritual component Mm -hmm. of a birth vision. And I feel like for a lot of people, that's like, oh, quote unquote, woo woo. But what that really breaks down to is the meaning and purpose and the why, as she so eloquently phrased it, behind the vision. Yeah, I, it's just been so fun hearing from the people who have supported you, Kara, uh, through your pregnancy and the birth process in this season. This episode was actually um, recorded when you, when you were pregnant, right? Okay, mm-hmm. yes. Which is really weird to think yeah, about now. you're like a whole different human. I'm the mother queen now. You are. But if I may pry a little bit, we've touched on just a few details here and there about your birth, but I'm wondering if we can just like dive in and hear about your birth vision and how it played out. Mm-hmm. Would love that. So I talk about some of my values when I was interviewing Cassie, mindfulness, love, connection, all of those things that still are very true to my core values now. Those definitely played out in my birth. So my vision was a home birth. And it was tea lights and aromatherapy and it was dark and just soothing and calm and 
meditations playing in the background, just like as freaking hippie as it can get, like the crunchiest of crunchy birds. We love a crunchy bird. Was Evan just singing lullabies the whole time along with the meditations? <laughs> yeah, he's just <laughs> humming in the background. <laughs> Floating a little bit. Levitating. Casual levitating. Um, he was a freaking rock star, I will say. So that was my ultimate birth vision of just working with my body, including those values. That is what I put down on paper. That's what I meditated with. I'm a pretty spiritual person. If People didn't pick up on that already. And so that is what brought energy for me. So my birth and how that actually played out, I remember that day I had lost, um, I think it was my mucus plug or I had my bloody show. So there's like a couple different things that happen when you're about to give birth. It's not always in the same order. The mucus plug. So I had lost this couple days before I went into labor. It is a collection of mucus that forms in the cervical canal in early pregnancy. And then it's released when labor is about to start or it's going to start soon. And what it looks oh, no. like, do you remember no. in the movie Shrek, no. he pulls the earwax from his ear and makes a candle? Yes. That's what the mucus plug looks like. Wow. <laughs> I used to tell everyone that. I was like, this is what it is. That is amazing. And uh, also so that's one the, of the fact things. that you also grow <laughs> that for nine months. That is insane. I know. Isn't that? <laughs> There's so many things that just seep out wow. of your body. It's delicious. Yummy. And the next one, <laughs> yummy, is the bloody show. So this almost sounds like da, 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 it's a show. <laughs> a burlesque it's coming out of your The bloody show, folks. So the bloody show is just like a little bit of bleeding that happens near the end of the pregnancy. It also indicates that you're going to go into labor soon, likely. So I had my I bloody show. I did my whole performance the day. I love it. I love it. Okay. Continue on. <clears throat> Just so you have a timeline. So this was a okay. Friday. Bloody shows in the morning all day. I just was kind of feeling crampy, like period cramps in my back, but nothing major. I was like, oh, I'll, I'll probably go into labor this weekend, whatever. So I'm chill. a couple days yeah. past my due date. Yeah, so chill. We go to the gas station, I get an ice cream sandwich. Oh, so, and then we come back and again, we just had a day. It was fun. We walked around with Oso, whatever. Fast forward to the evening. It was probably four or five o'clock and I'm bouncing on my mm-hmm. yoga ball just to kind of like get comfortable. And the cramps are starting to rev up a little bit. But nothing crazy. Again, just like period cramps. I'm feeling some cramps in my back, whatever. And I asked Ev, I was like, do you want to watch Napoleon Dynamite? (laughs) And Ev was about to go out and do a little work. So at the time, he was like Ubering as a side hustle. And so he's like, I think I'm about to go drive. And then things started to rev up a little bit more. And he was like, should I? And I was like, "Eh, maybe not. Maybe Just in case. Again, super chill. We're like, whatever. We'll see. We start to watch Napoleon Dynamite, and as we're watching a little bit of it, I was like, Ev, you need to turn it off. (laughs) I I just, I couldn't watch that. Things were starting to get a little bit more intense. Um, And then I started to play my birthing playlist. So that was another thing that was in my birth vision, was listening to all the songs that I had accumulated Mm -hmm. over my pregnancy. Things are revving up again, just getting a little bit more intense, um, to the point where like I'm feeling contractions Mm -hmm. and we're timing it out but they're pretty far apart. So they start to get a little bit closer and Evan calls Emily. So my doula and is like, Hey, like this is how far apart they are. Do you think you can start coming? Um, Kara's asking for you. So I'm, I'm noticing that it's getting more intense and that 
it's getting a little bit more challenging to just talk through it Mm -hmm. or whatever. A lot of this honestly is kind of foggy, but so Emily arrives, we start to do like different laboring positions. And so she's like doing massage for me. She's telling Evan what to do and directing him. She's also like feeding me honey. I know it was so good because like you need some nutrients going into labor What's interesting is a lot of people don't eat when they're at the hospital if they've had an epidural because you're not supposed to. And so you don't have that natural energy, which is kind of crazy. So she's like hydrating me, like literally like I'm about to run a marathon. She's like giving me water, giving me honey sticks, like a little chia seed squeeze, like all these different things. It was great. She's starting to light the incense. She's like lighting the whole room and just making the energy great. She's putting on relaxing music and it's lovely. And this is exactly how I envisioned it was being able to work through each contraction. Though it was really hard, I was like laughing my way through a big portion of labor, like cracking jokes with Emily, just having a good time. And then I'd have a contraction. I'd be like, okay. Reel it in. Anyways. (laughs) But it was great because I knew what was going on with my body. Mm. I felt empowered after each contraction because it was like, sweet, I'm one contraction closer to giving birth. When you talked about your birth vision and planned it out. Did you plan the environment more than anything? Or did you plan out like, I want these exact things. I want this event to happen. I want Emily to braid my hair after my fifth (laughs) contraction and just like freaking go. (laughs) I want two honey sticks every hour on the house. That's a great question. I think what's cool about a birth vision is you can kind of make it as detailed as you want it to be or as broad. And I feel like for me, I really visualized what it looked like. So like you alluded to, so the environment, music, the energy, the values that are brought in and what that means. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to be connected? I guess for me in it, it was being close to Evan or having him support me, feeling connected to the people in the room. There were some little details of like, wanting Emily to help me out with reading affirmations that I had created beforehand so that she could remind me when I'm having a hard time. So some details interwoven within a bigger picture. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you had the environment, but also tools for Emily or Evan to help you be successful, like we talked about. Exactly. Because when you're laboring, there's not a lot of time for you to be like, okay, so this is what I want. This is what I want. I don't want him to do that. So it's good for people to know in advance. Obviously, you show up how you show up to labor. But the fact that I had things in place for people to be like, okay, I know she likes this or I know she'll want Mm -hmm. this. Or the fact that Emily facilitated a lot of that too of like, hey, Evan, don't do that or do this, hold her this way was really helpful. Because you don't want to be thinking, like you want to be feeling. So was laboring for a while, um, just in my bedroom. Emily was there. Eventually got closer, so my midwife showed up. She was trying to get the tub ready because that took a little bit and get warm water that was placed in the living room. Oh, all the while, Oso, who is my black lab dog, was just chilling. I mean, he was by my side the whole time, so calm. He was just fantastic. I know, dogs know. So my midwife comes in and she is... um, checking the baby's pulse. And so she's kind of doing a couple things. The entire time, she did not check my dilation. Mm. So that's another thing when you go to the hospital is you check the cervix and how dilated you are, right? You know how you're always talking to people and they're like, oh, I was five centimeters for like five hours. Yeah. She never checked and I didn't even realize, but it takes something that needs to be inserted into your vagina to do that. Oh, Okay. So she just doesn't do that. She literally would listen out for the specific noises that I would make. And just again, from her own practice, she knew at which point I was likely, I know, I know. It was very intuitive. 
So I find myself in the bedroom and then I find myself going to the bathroom and like sitting on the toilet <laughs> laboring. I don't know why it's weird. And then I found myself in the closet. Oh, It was super weird. I just was going to all these places. I tried to lay on my side, but that was too uncomfortable. Eventually I'm bouncing on the ball and then all this water comes out. This was like a couple hours into labor and I was like, oh my gosh, what just happened? And they're all like, oh, her water broke. Like oh, it was just casual. And that's another misconception too, is we think, oh, once her water breaks, she's going into labor or sometimes it breaks during labor. Sometimes it breaks weeks in advance. Yes. <laughs> weeks in advance. Oh I know. God. Sorry. I'm throwing in a lot of wows right now. So we eventually get me into the tub and it was freaking amazing. It was incredible. I wish that every person can go into a tub at some point, if, whether you're in a hospital or not. The water is so relaxing, it's so calming, and it just made it a lot more easier for me to tolerate the contractions as they got stronger. At one point, I was having contractions to where it felt almost like food poisoning. My body was curling in itself a little bit, and I thought I was going to throw up. I didn't. I just breathed through it, and then eventually I (laughs) had to poop, and I like literally pooped in the tub. Such a freeing experience, (laughs) I'm sure. So I pooped in the tub. They're so freaking graceful though, these midwives. Like I you wouldn't have even known. I thought when I was pushing to poop, I was giving birth. I was like, This is it, this is my baby. And it was a, just a turd and that they had a fish out of the water and oh, scoop geez. away and then they just keep going. So eventually I am in like a um yoga squat position and Evan's holding my arms up. This is in the tub still. And Everything is really extreme and part of my birth vision was just to kind of feel into the energy and just think about women or birthing people in the past that have given birth and to ask for that strength. So almost like calling upon the strength of people that have birthed in the past. And that was something that someone had offered me to of like think about all the strength of women in the past. Eventually got really intense to where I asked my midwife, so circling back to dilation, how many centimeters dilated am I? And she goes, if we are going to do your dilation, I have to take you out out of the tub. I have to insert something into your vagina to check. Do you still want to do this? Mm. And I was like, no. (laughs) No. Yeah, that sounds terrible. (laughs) No, it's like it just totally would disrupt that process for me. And so she said, what you can do is you can stick two fingers up your vagina and see if you can feel her head. Oh my God. What a crazy thing. Holy freaking shit. I know. (laughs) I shoved my fingers up. She was two knuckles deep. That was her head. Wow. I know. It was like really crazy to think about. Yeah. I'm like mind blown. So that was the process though, like I was in that active labor phase where it was time to push and my body just knew, so it's just like the feeling of needing to expel something. And I think that's why I felt like I had food poisoning earlier on. As I'm pushing, the way that my midwife had told me to push is like when you're pooping, which is probably why I took a dump (laughs) earlier in the tub. Classic mix up. (laughs) Happens to a lot of people. You know how like you kind of hold your breath for a second and then you push and then you release yeah. that's how it was oh my God. pushing obviously like a little bit crazier because right, you have a human um uh, two knuckles deep yeah. at this point <laughs> this is a, big, this is a yeah. bigger poop happening and so I'm doing this for like 10-15 minutes and then I finally push Kaya oh out God. and I think the hardest part was like getting her head out because it's it just was so intense I don't even want to say painful because I don't think that's a good descriptor mm-hmm. It was so intense. I got her head out. Her little hand was right next to her face. And then she just freaking slid out like she had baby oil. (laughs) Well, she had something on her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff. But yeah, so like my total labor process was roughly six hours. That is so insane. Which is very unusual for a first time 
Well, I think that just speaks to all the mental, emotional, and spiritual prep of your birth. Yeah. And I know it won't be that way for every person that does that, but I wonder how your um, outlook on it and intentions played into those feelings and the speed and just, you know, your body being relaxed. Like you said, you you knew what was going on. You were just listening to your body. You knew what it wanted. And I think that that's super cool. I think the fact that at this point, like I didn't have any drugs, whatever, I just experienced an immediate natural high. I was like, ah. couldn't even feel anything. I felt great. Fantastic. She was on me. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. My midwife was just checking in, making sure everything was okay, checking on my placenta because that's another thing that gets yeah. delivered after. Then my placenta was being a little bitch. <laughs> really? It came down to the placenta. Yeah, it was the placenta. It's personal. So she was, she, she's a she, she was not coming out. And I had to eventually come out of the tub because I was starting to bleed a lot and had a little bit of hemorrhaging. This was just a bizarre thing. This obviously I did not envision. I will say that with Cassie's course, you're able to explore your fears a little bit further and unpack Mm. them. And one of my fears was getting transferred to the hospital just because that means that I needed an intervention or whatever. And I just didn't want that. Luckily, I was able to work through that fear. And so we were working on getting my placenta out. It wasn't coming out. They were trying all the natural remedies. From my understanding, because I had a certified midwife and there's also certified nurse midwives. So there's different credentials and capacities to which they're able to like try different medical Mm -hmm. interventions. So she had tried a lot of different natural remedies, herbs, all of that, and then Pitocin. Mm. And Pitocin is a son of a bitch. (laughs) Pitocin mimics oxytocin and it's supposed to get your contractions revved up again so that the placenta can be delivered. So a lot of people in the hospital get Pitocin to get labor going. And what I experienced from Pitocin was the contractions that I was experiencing with Kaya times 10. It was freaking miserable. Like this is what I'll describe as painful. It was painful, very uncomfortable. I hated it. Placenta still wasn't coming out. So I eventually needed to get transferred to the hospital. Luckily, St. Mary's was like literally around the corner. And I was admitted in. They just checked a couple of things. And pretty much all they did at the hospital was reach their hand into my vagina and pull the placenta out. Interesting. And that couldn't be done in the home setting for whatever reason. So then once I finally got there, they're trying to admit Kaya and she was perfectly fine and healthy. They wanted to keep me there for like 12 hours to monitor. It just was all this stuff that I thought was stupid. And that's where Emily talks about in her episode how she stepped in and was like, no, we're not doing this. We're actually going to go home, whatever. So that is how it ended up. So I would say that my birth vision came into fruition and I had a surprise transfer to the hospital that I was able to work with emotionally before it actually happened because I dealt with that fear in advance. Wow. That is a ride and also sounds like a beautiful experience, which this is not my first time hearing it, but still just floored by some of the things and like birth is just freaking wild, man. It's crazy and it's so cool. My experience was awesome. Obviously, I had a great support system. I was in a childbirth class. I had the privilege of having more time on my hands to dedicate to focusing on this birth too. I just wish that a lot of people could experience it and have that empowering feeling like I did. And also just be supported by their community. I wish that community understood that it's a huge transition that this person's making into the next phase of their life. And we should nurture that. We should give them that time with their baby, all of that. 
All right, stepping off my pedestal there. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. That is such an intimate experience, but one that is just so beautiful and full of so many lessons. So I think it's really important to talk about. So Carol, what are some of the resources that you would recommend from Cassie? So Cassie's resources have changed a little bit. One of the main things I will say is to follow her on social media. So she's always posting a lot of wonderful free information. I think she's always sharing different things of other resources that you can access. Another thing that Cassie does personally is she does one-to-one coaching. And then she also said too, as we were recording this episode, that if you want to reach out to her for specific recommendations, please feel free to do so. We'll put her information in the show notes too. Yeah, and a huge thank you to Cassie for offering all those resources and offering, you know, for people to reach out to her. I think for someone like me who is on the outside of, you know, birth, some things that I think would be really helpful for people to take away from this episode is certainly understanding what a birth vision is and supporting people in creating one, whether that means pointing them to a resource, helping them word it, and also kind of being in tune with the birthing person and their wants and needs going in so that you can be the best partner, friend, supportive person in that moment. Yes, I agree. I think the only thing I would add to that is finding a kick-ass community that you can touch base with. And that was one of the things of Cassie's previous resources where these things called mama circles, mm. where you can come together with other moms going through a similar thing, sharing similar values even some that might not share the exact same values, but being able to bounce off ideas. So finding that community for yourself. Great. I love that. And I just want to circle back to one thing you mentioned. You read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, Home Birth Stories. Um, do Mm -hmm. Do you feel like that would be helpful for other people to read to understand different factors at play? 100%. Yes. I definitely recommend that book, especially if you're someone that wants to do a home birth. But even if you're someone that just wants to have a reframe on your mindset towards birth, it's so cool. I really wanted to visit the farm. I was like, would it be feasible for me to do this? But no, it was COVID. So so just get a hot tub in the middle of Reno, Nevada, and that'll do it. Oh yeah, baby. I was going to grow up being like, what the hell, mom? You gave birth to me in a condo in Reno, Nevada? If you like what you heard, make sure to follow Tuning In From Within on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Kelly Hurt. And I am Kara McLeod. And our fabulous producer is Jernai Aniwar. Thanks for tuning in. Tuning, tuning out, out for now. now.